You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. You can take a seat. Well, church family, how are we doing this morning? And praise God. Hey, well, my name is Austin Dameron. I'm the high school pastor on staff. If we haven't met yet, it's a pleasure uh, to be here with you. Uh, pastor David is out of town this morning with his son in California, and so Brandon Hayes is filling in in the worship center over there, and, and I'll be here with you in the venue this morning, and just honored and, and thrilled to proclaim God's word together. Um, and since Pastor David is out of town, we'll be pausing the book series that we've been going through through the past couple months, and we're actually going to be in the book of John, so if you want to grab your Bible and, and open to the book of John, you can. Um, and as you turn there, I'm just going to go ahead and pray um, just over this service and over this morning um, that the Lord would move. So pray with me. Lord, we just ask right now as, as we open the scriptures, God, this, this truth would speak to us. God, that our eyes would be open, our, our hearts would be open to the truth that you have to communicate. And God, I just desperately pray that we would hear a word from you this morning not from Austin, not, not from someone else, but from you, the God of the universe, Lord, that you would speak to us and our hearts would be attentive. And, and right now, if, if you're willing, uh, would you just take a moment to pray that over your own heart, that, that you would be attentive and remove any distractions for you can hear from the Lord this morning. Would you pray that? Lord, we ask that you would do that and that you, that you would be with us. And we trust you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, I, I want to start in kind of a, in a difficult way, but, but it will make a lot of sense if you'll lean in with me. And so I want you to think about a time of a moment of failure or some time that you regret. And for most of us, it's probably pretty easy to go back to something that we regret. So maybe it was a decision that you made, maybe it was something that you yelled at someone, right? Something that you said out of anger. I want you to think of a moment that you regret. Just, just for a second that you would ponder that. And I'm not doing that uh, to hurt you or to, to send you back into relapse, right? But I just want you to think about a moment that you regret. And for me, I, I have a lot, right? A lot that are probably not appropriate for me to share on this stage. Uh, of failures and regrets that I had. One, one that I probably can share is when I was 16, a uh, couple weeks into getting a driver's license, I was backing out of the parking lot at school, and for some reason, uh, this will always haunt me, I turned my steering wheel the wrong direction, and just kind of, you know, as I'm reversing, going back, go the wrong direction, and I scrape the side of a brand new Camaro, like multiple feet, just you know, that terrible noise. If you ever have hit a car, I've done it a couple times. So I know that sound, right? That just, uh, and like for the rest of my life, that moment haunts me, right? Like I'll, I'll have nightmares about it, that I'm going to run into the, the cool guy's brand new Camaro again, right? And as I did that, there was like 20 people watching. So it wasn't just like one of those things that you could hit the car and like, okay, I can get away with this and leave, right? There was multiple people watching and then it cost thousands of dollars to repair. Like a moment that would haunt me forever. All of us have these moments. Hopefully you've never scratched a Camaro, but we all have moments of failure, 
right? We're sinful, we're broken people that mess up. And for the apostle Peter, really the greatest moment of regret that he had in his life was denying Jesus, right? We see that this happened three times, not just once, but three different times that he denied Jesus. Y'all remember this moment in the scriptures? We see that in each one of the gospel accounts that Peter promises Jesus, he says, hey, I'm gonna be faithful to you. No matter what happens, as we know, we know something bad is about to happen, I'm gonna be committed to you. And as Jesus is dragged to his crucifixion, Peter in that moment denies Jesus, right? Goes against him three different times. And so I want you to imagine how Peter must have been feeling. Put, put yourself in Peter's shoes for a moment. He's denied the savior of the world, right? He's denied the man that he's given his life to. He's given everything to follow after him, said he would be faithful, but when it really mattered, when it really counted, he went against him. He was worried about what people would think about him and what, what they would say. And so in Luke's account of the story, it says that as soon as Peter realized what he had said, realized what he had done, he was overcome with emotion, right? He began to cry, he was, he was sorrowful. And so I think we can imagine, like it's very easy for us to imagine that Peter in this moment is full of regret, he's full of shame, he's full of hurt, and he was in need of healing, right? He, he was gonna be very hard for him to move on without a moment of healing to take place. And so I, I think there's really two choices that Peter had in this moment. After he's denied Christ, how does he move forward? There's two options. Number one, I think if we're gonna assume he could just quit ministry, like just all that together, following Jesus, proclaiming his name, he, he could just quit, right? Because he's publicly denied Jesus. And so the question would be like, what's the point of going on, right? People have either seen this moment, there was a crowd around when he denied him, or they've heard about it, right? Like, did you hear about Peter? Yo, he denied Jesus. He went against him. And so what would be the point of him continuing? If he continued, it would be really confusing for everyone because they'd be like, weren't you the guy that denied Jesus? Like, that doesn't make any sense. So that's the first option. He quits ministry altogether. Or number two, he continues. But I think it would have been really hard for him to continue and truly pursue Jesus, truly proclaim his name. Because I think everything Peter would have done would to be to make up for that moment of regret. Right? Every sermon he would preach, every time he baptized someone, it would all be, did, that, did it make up for it? Did, did I do enough, Jesus? And so Peter is struggling, right? I think we can just assume that those are kind of the two options. And what I want you to see in John 21, one of my favorite passages of scripture, is that no, how, no matter how Peter was feeling, we can assume all the different things, but I think for sure we know he's regretful, he's disappointed in himself, and he's hurt. And Jesus in John chapter 21 is not gonna allow this to continue. He's not gonna allow Peter to sit in what he was feeling. And so if you have your Bible, if you haven't already turned there, we're in John chapter 21. Uh, we're gonna read a couple of different verses throughout um, this passage. And we're gonna actually start in verse three. So let me kind of set up the text for you. We're at the end of the book of John. And so in this moment, Jesus has resurrected. He's defeated 
the grave, and then he's gonna go and begin to appear to multiple different people, primarily the disciples. And so here in John 21, Jesus appears for really the final time that we see in the book of John to seven disciples at the Sea of Galilee. And we're gonna see how he would not allow Peter to stay in the position that he was in. If you're with me, we're gonna start in verse three. Starts like this, says, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And the other disciples said, we'll go with you. And so they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And so we'll see three different things. I think this text will just very clearly communicate to us three different points or different ideas. And so the first one that we'll see if you're taking notes is that shame and regret will keep you from fully living for Jesus. Shame and regret will keep you from fully living for Jesus. And so let me unpack this. I want you to notice, just right off the bat, one verse, notice what Peter does. After he's denied Jesus, he goes back to what he knows best, right? We see throughout the scripture that Peter was a fisherman, and so he goes back to fishing. Why is that significant? Peter, in the midst of great shame and hurt, instead of proclaiming to the world that Jesus has defeated death and defeated the grave, he's held down by the weight of his shame so much so that he goes back to his former way of life. Because remember, we see this earlier in, in, in the book of John, that John and Peter both saw the empty tomb, right? They, they know that Jesus has defeated death. But the shame that was there for Peter was keeping him from sharing the truth. And so what Peter does in this moment is he goes back to what he knows best, right? He goes back to fishing. And so typically when we fall, when we have moments of failure, when we sin, we do the same exact thing. We, we respond in a very similar way to Peter. And oftentimes we, we find something that will, will numb the pain or to block out the noise of that hurt and that regret. And often, like, I think if we're honest, this just looks like getting busy. Like just going back to work, hanging out with your family, like doing anything you can to distract yourself from that failure, to numb the pain. We just kind of keep going. Like, oh, I'm just gonna block it out, keep moving with whatever is going on with life and try to forget it. And these are the things that shame does to us. That instead of running to Jesus with what we're carrying, with the hurt and the pain that we say, I'm just gonna try to block it out and carry it myself. And so, so I was reading this week kind of about shame and, and, and how that works in our life. And a psychiatrist, Kurt Thompson, he's the author of Soul of Shame. He says this, talking about what shame does to us as believers. He says that shame is the primary means to prevent us from using gifts we have been given to be the light-bearing community of Jesus' followers we're called to be. And so let me illustrate shame in this way. And so shame over time is you make a small decision or a large decision, either one of those of failure, shame begins to weigh on us like a brick, like a brick in a duffel bag or in a bag that we're carrying. And so I want you to make sure that you catch this first. 
is that what the Spirit does when you become a believer, the Spirit convicts you, but the enemy is going to attack you with shame. And so instead of feeling conviction, oftentimes we feel shame for the decisions we made. And it can be as easy as this. So say this week, you didn't get into God's word. You didn't spend time with him. And instead of feeling conviction for that, that you should spend time with your savior, you feel shame. And so that adds a brick into your life. Maybe you yelled at your kids this week for for the second or third time that day. And so you feel shame for that. You clicked on that video again when you said you were never gonna go back and watch those type of videos. It adds a brick. That decision when you made in high school, a brick, or that decision that you made in college when you crossed purity boundaries in a relationship, it adds shame to your life. And on and on and on we can go with whatever decision it may be. And so what I want you to see is what shame does is it adds on and builds up. Instead of taking it to Jesus and saying, will you take what I'm carrying? Instead, we just carry it. Shame adds on, it builds up, so much so that we can't carry it. Right? It weighs on our lives, pulling us down. We get to a point where we have no hands to serve Jesus because we're carrying so much. And so shame and regret will keep you from fully living after Jesus, fully pursuing what he has for you because it's weighing you down. And here's what happens so often is that shame can lead us back to our old way of life, our old way of sin. And that's what happens for Peter, right? He goes back to what he knew best to try to numb the shame and the pain that he was feeling. And we see Peter's leadership as all of the disciples just begin to follow him, right? We know he was the leader of them. And so they're like, well, if he's doing it, we'll just follow him. And so Peter's shame, going back to what he knew best, keeps the disciples from pursuing what Jesus had for them as well. And so sometimes our shame will affect other people, right? The way that we're living, the way that it's wearing us down will affect our family, our friends, the people we're leading and ministering to. And so the scripture continues in verse four. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore and yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work. Watch out. Peter is, Peter is a wild man. And he threw himself into the sea and the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land but about a hundred yards off. And so here's what's happening in the scripture, kind of what we've seen so far from what we've read. The disciples go out with Peter late into the night to fish and they're catching nothing, like just over and over, never hauling anything in. Jesus appears on the shore and says, throw your nets on the other side. Cast your nets on the other side. They pull in the nets. 
and there's tons of fish. We're gonna see that there's 153 of them in just a minute as we continue to read. But this miracle that takes place is they throw the net on the other side and pull in tons of fish. May, may sound familiar to you. This exact same miracle takes place in Luke chapter five. We see that basically the same thing happens. The disciples are fishing and Jesus says, cast your net on the other side. And what's significant about that is that was the first miracle that Jesus used to call Peter to be his disciple. You remember that moment in, in Luke 5 that he said, come and follow me and be a fisher of men. And so why would Jesus use the same miracle that he used to call Peter in that moment in Luke 5? Why would he do it again here in John 21? And what Jesus is doing here is he's trying to communicate to Peter that he's not done with him, that he's not too far gone. He hasn't outsinned his ministry position, right? But instead that there's hope for him. And so what Jesus is communicating to Peter is that he is going to use him despite his moment of failure, despite his weaknesses. And I think we can see that Peter realizes what's happening. Right, Peter picked up, like immediately, Peter would have remembered the moment when Jesus first called him. Right? He would have remembered that miracle and Peter is overwhelmed so much so that he jumps into the water and just begins to swim to Jesus. And so the second thing that we see from this text is that God wants to use you despite your weaknesses. God wants to use you despite your weaknesses. And so I wanna encourage you today no matter what you have done in your past, no matter what the list, the laundry list of sins, the history that you've been through, that there is still hope for you. That God is not done with you. You're never too far gone. You can never out the grace of God and the cross covers every sin, every list of sins that we carry. And so the same truth that Jesus was, was seeking to communicate to Peter in this moment 2,000 years ago is the same truth that he wants to communicate to you today, that he's not done with you, that he still has a plan and a purpose for you despite your weaknesses, despite your failures. And so I think the best way to illustrate this, the best example that, that would speak truth of this idea is really Scripture. Right, that we see throughout the scripture that there's multiple people that God used despite their failures, despite their heroic, or excuse me, their horrific moments of shame and decisions they made that were against God. And so we see, like, first and foremost is this text. We see Peter, right, denied Jesus multiple times. And we're gonna see in just a minute that God still used him for his glory. Right, despite his failure. Isaiah, he was a man of worldly passions that despite his sin, God used for his glory. David was a murderer and adulterer, but despite those things, God still used him for his glory. Moses had a temper and killed a man, and God still used him. Abraham lied about his wife being his sister and multiple other things that God used for his glory. Jacob was immoral and God used him for his glory. And on and on and on, the Bible is a book about God using broken and sinful people for his glory. So why wouldn't he do that with you? 
Why wouldn't he do that with me? Why wouldn't he do the same thing that he's always done? And so I wanna share this with you in love and I know that I'm speaking this to myself, but your sin, your failure is not an excuse to not live for Jesus. Your shame should not keep you from living for Jesus. It should not be the thing that weighs you down. It should be the thing that causes you to run to him because we know he's the only one that can redeem us and heal us of our pain. And so maybe today you need to turn back to him. You need to pursue him, leaving the shame and the regret behind and running to Jesus. And the truth that we see here is that our failure is not final. That's the hope that we have in Jesus, right? That we're sinful, that we're broken, that we're messed up. But when we mess up, God's not done with us. That our failure is not final. Verse nine, when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them to be exact. And although there were so many, the net was not torn, which is a miracle in itself that they were able to haul in that many fish. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. And this was the third time that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And so when the disciples get to the shore, Jesus has prepared a charcoal fire. And this is really significant. This word for charcoal fire is only used twice in the entire New Testament. We see it once here in John 21, and then in John 18, 18. The moment that Peter denies Jesus, if you remember, it says that Peter goes and begins to warm himself next to a fire with officers and servants around him, a charcoal fire to be specific. And so in this moment here in John 21, Jesus recreates the same type of fire. And this is, this is so amazing, so significant that I, I want you to catch this, that Jesus doesn't build this fire, right? And when Peter gets to the shore, Jesus isn't like, you remember this? You jerk. You remember that moment? Last time you were by a fire like this? Come on, I'm gonna put you in it. No, this is so important that you understand the heart of God here in this moment, what, what Jesus is doing. Jesus is not waiting on the shore, ready for his moment to deny Peter, right? To get at him and, and make up for what Peter's done, to, to cuss Peter out and to cast him out publicly in front of the disciples to say, hey, if you ever do that again, actually, no, 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 you messed up enough, get out. No, that, that, that's not the heart of God here. And I want you to catch this, is in this moment, Jesus is not angry. He's not hurtful with his words but he's gentle and he's kind. And he goes so far to prepare breakfast for Peter and the disciples. And so Jesus uses this moment when he recreates this fire, Peter would have remembered once again, that would have triggered in his mind that moment 
But Jesus doesn't recreate that to hurt him. What he's doing in this moment is he begins to address the pain and the hurt that Peter was dealing with. Why? Because it needed to be dealt with, right? Because Peter was gonna carry that moment for the rest of his life when he denied Jesus by that fire. And so now by another fire, Jesus is going to restore him. That's where we're gonna go next and, and see this. And so the same is true for you and me is that Jesus does not come angry and hurtful for us, against us, but what he wants to do is heal us and restore us. And so Jesus does not bring up the fire to hurt him. What he's doing is addressing his sin. And Jesus does the same thing for us, is that our sin must always be addressed. It never can be neglected. It has to be addressed when Jesus is there. And so, so often we can assume the wrong things about God, right? That he's angry at us because of our mistake. He's just standing there in disgust, right? Shaking his head. But here in this moment, the, the beauty that's so evident and clear is that Jesus is gentle and kind in the midst of Peter's greatest failure, in the midst of his greatest regret. And so the same way that Jesus responds to Peter in this moment is the same way he responds to us. There's a whole book that's written on this idea. It's called Gentle and Lowly, right? I know many of you have probably read it. Brandon talks about it a lot, but it speaks to this idea of that's the heart of God. Like what is, what is the truest thing about Jesus is compassion, right? Not anger, not disgust, it's compassion. And we continue on in verse 15. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, then tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time. And I think in this moment, Peter began to realize what was happening, right? Peter remembered the, the fire, the three times that he denied him. And now Jesus has asked him three times, do you love me? And this is what led him to grieve in this moment that he's overcome with the emotion of what he had done. And so Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Third and final thing that, that I want us to see this morning, I think that the text is communicating to us is that Jesus heals us, he restores us, and then he sends us for his glory. It's the truth of what he does. It's the gospel that Jesus heals us, he restores us, and he sends us for his glory. And so in this moment, Jesus did not give up on Peter and say, hey, you've, you've messed up. I'm gonna have to move on with these other guys. Good luck, good luck fishing, right? You're not great at it. No. In this moment, Jesus publicly restores Peter. As Peter had once publicly denied and gone against Jesus by a fire, now by another fire, Jesus publicly restores Peter and reinstates him into the ministry, telling Peter that he's not done with him, that he still has a plan and a purpose for him. 
And Jesus goes so far to tell him what that plan is, right? Jesus is going to send him out. And so Jesus instructs him to feed my lambs, take care of my sheep and feed my sheep, which all communicate to take care of the church that you will lead later on in the book of Acts, right? Right there saying, I have a plan and a purpose for your life. And so what Jesus does here is he calls Peter to move forward. He says, no longer live in the shame and the pain that you're dealing with, but it's time to take a step forward. It's time to turn the page and move forward. Move on. Jesus begins to restore and heal Peter in this moment. Any of you ever seen the the TV show Fixer Upper? Show of hands, anyone? All right, all right, okay. Great show, if you haven't watched it, you're missing out. Uh, but we have just a couple from Waco um, that just kind of started a small business and then just exploded to this massive uh, complex in Waco called Magnolia. If you've never been there, you need to go there. Uh, but big fan of Chip and Joe. And so what they do is they have this TV show called Fixer Upper. And so they'll go, and I think the way they describe it kind of on the intro of their, their show is they take really the most broken, worn down house in a community, in an area, and they're gonna go in and renovate it and ultimately fix it up, right? Take it from something that was broken and to something that was beautiful. And so I have a couple pictures I wanna show you. Uh, here's the first one. And so this was a barn dominium uh, that a couple said, hey, we wanna, we wanna raise our kids out on the farm, and so would you come in and renovate our home? And so most of the time what they'll do is they'll go in and they'll fix everything in the house from the foundation to, hey, we need to add new bedrooms into this. We're gonna just go in and make everything look beautiful. Like that's their whole purpose. And then you're just amazed with the transformation of what they do. It's just insane. Over and over they do these to homes and just like, Total transformation, doesn't even look like the same place. And we have one other one. Uh, This was a home that hadn't been lived in for almost 10 years. And you can see like, I know it's not the best picture, but like there's foundation issues in the bottom. It just looks like a worn down house that no one would really want to live in if they had to choose. And so Chip and Joe get their hands on it and turn it into this. And so what I want you to see here is that they go in and renovate the home and restore it, but take it to something better than anyone could have ever imagined, right? Better than the original condition, maybe than what it once looked at the very beginning, they take it to something completely better, better than its original condition. And this is what Jesus does with us, that he heals us and restores us, right? Making him, making us into his own. He takes something that is sinful and broken, that's worn down, that's carrying shame, that can't take a step forward, and he restores us for his glory. That's why we sing that song that Jesus turns beauty, or turns ashes into beauty, right? He restores us, he makes us new in his name. Take something that's broken and sinful. And so this is the grace and forgiveness of Jesus, that no matter what you have done in the past, No matter what that list is, Jesus can heal you from that. He can heal you and restore you. You can be right with God. And so this moment in John 21, it's it's so important that the other disciples were around, right? As Jesus publicly restores him in front of the other disciples, 
It was a demonstration of his grace towards all the disciples, but also towards all of us who would read this text. It's a reminder to all of us that our failure is not final. And so chapter 21, if you continue to read, it ends with Jesus predicting how Peter is going to die. And he tells Peter one last time, he says, be faithful and follow after me. And really the best way to translate that is to keep following after me, keep pursuing me. And so after this, if you continue to read on, move into the book of Acts, Peter would go and preach one sermon and 3,000 people would give their lives to Christ through the mouth of someone broken and sinful, proclaiming the glory of God. He, he'd preach a second sermon and 5,000 people would give their life to Christ. And so in the midst of two sermons, Peter preaches, remember the sinful, broken person that has denied Jesus and 8,000 people give their lives to Christ and the first mega church explodes through Peter, who's broken and sinful. And so what I want you to see is that moment here on the shore in John 21, the restoration that happened there allowed for what was gonna come next to happen, right? Peter needed to be healed and restored to go and boldly proclaim the gospel in the book of Acts. That could not have happened without the healing and restoration that he found in Jesus. And the same is true for you and me that we cannot fully serve Jesus, we cannot fully give our lives to him if we are weighed down by the shame and sin and regrets that we have. We have to be unburdened of those things to fully live for him. We must be restored. And so the only way that's possible, only way that we get the bags of shame, the baggage to be removed is through the forgiveness of Jesus that we would go and confess it to him and he would heal us of those things. He would remove those things off our shoulders. And so Jesus doesn't want to just heal you and leave you where you are and say, just, just continue doing what you were doing. No, Jesus wants to heal you and restore you and then release you for his kingdom's sake. He wants to send you for his glory. And so Jesus heals us, he restores us and he sends us for his glory. And so as we wrap up this morning, in summary, what we see from the restoration of Peter is, is three different things. Is we see that shame and regret will keep you from fully living for Jesus. We see that God wants to use you and me despite our weaknesses, despite our moments of failure. And we see that Jesus heals us, he restores us, and he sends us for his glory. And so I want to finish with this this morning. Some of you, probably many of us this morning, came into the room carrying shame and regret and pain from our moments of failure. And instead of running to Jesus with those things, like we said earlier, what shame does is we begin to carry those things, weighing us down and feeling like we can't fully live for him because of the baggage that we're carrying. That every moment just piles into this bag and we just feel like we have to carry it, we have to walk with it. And so much so that you can't feel like you can be yourself 
because those nightmares, those mistakes that you've made are weighing you down because you're carrying the baggage. And this morning, I want to encourage you that maybe the way that you respond today is that you would physically come to this altar and you would take whatever you're carrying, whatever shame, regret, whatever pain, and you would place it at the feet of Jesus and allow him to take it and to carry it and remove it off your shoulders. Maybe that's the way that you need to respond this morning is that you come here and make this an altar. That decision that you made in college, that that moment last week when you know you went too far, whatever that would be, that you would come and give it to Jesus because you cannot fully live for him and pursue the plan he has for you if you're carrying baggage. Maybe that's the way that you need to respond this morning. And so as we move into this time of response, I believe right now, and we see it from this text, that God is waiting for you. He's not mad at you. He's not angry at you, but he's prepared to heal you and restore you from maybe one moment or many moments of regret. He is ready for that. And the question is for all of us, is will you turn back to him? Will you bring what you're carrying to him and no longer carry it yourself? You were not made to carry that. Let Jesus take it this morning. Let me pray for us and we'll respond. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you're a God that does not leave us where we are in the midst of our sin and our shame and our regret, but God, that you're a God of healing and restoration. We thank you for that truth to the life of Peter. And God, I pray for my, my friends in this room and even for myself, God, for those of us that are carrying something that have maybe been carrying it for years, that maybe this would be the morning that we come and give that fully to you, release the baggage that is on our shoulders. And God, I believe that you'll take it. As we sang earlier, God, you're the God that frees us of our chains. And so, Lord, I just pray right now that we would respond in whatever way that you would move us to, whatever you're working in our hearts, that we would respond freely to what you're asking us to do. And we respond right now. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 